Welcome to the Dr. Raj podcast with Dr. Raj Desgupta, a show all about educating patients, students, and aspiring doctors about better patient care. Dr. Raj is a quadruple board certified physician and associate professor at the University of Southern California. He was a co-host of the TNT series, Chasing the Cure with Ann Curry, as well as a regular on the TV show, The Doctors. And now, here's our show. Hi, and welcome to the Dr. Raj podcast. And what is this a podcast of? Well, this is a podcast of happiness, of wellness. It's a podcast of amazing people doing amazing things. And with that being said, I definitely chose the right person to be on the podcast today because this individual wrote a book. And I love people who write books, especially that have catchy titles. And this title is Cheating Death. Now, what brings happiness to most people? It's kind of like cheating death if you could do it. And I thought it'd be great to have this gentleman, this doctor on here because you know what? This book is coming out March 7th, which is just around the corner when I'm recording this. And you know, sometimes on a podcast, you've got a cool title like Cheating Death. It's good to be a little thought-provoking. I just wanted to say that. So before I introduce uh, my doctor, I'm going to do the bio for Mr. Dr. Rand McLean, which is Though nutrition and wellness have been ingrained in Dr. Rand McLean's since childhood, his journey to becoming a leader in alternative and progressive medical treatments has been anything but orthodox. From being the youngest senior accountant manager at Deloitte's history, to his stint as a professional boxer in Argentina, to being accepted to med school at age 37, we'll talk about that, after being repeatedly told, you know what, it's impossible. Dr. Rand has never been a fan of the status quo, and that is literally in quotes. Uh, Dr. Rand's patients, many of which are these A-list celebrities and world-class athletes, come to his practice. I'm a little jealous. Regenerative and sports medicine, in search of innovative treatments he specializes in. From the latest in stem cell and hormonal therapies to IV drips that reduce trauma and anxiety to human performance health programs and futuristic longevity treatments, Dr. Rand believes that your past health mistakes don't define your future. I love that. And with that being said, Dr. McLean, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Are you kidding me? When I read your bio, I just have so many questions to ask. Are you ready? Are you ready to take a walk down memory lane? I am. Please go ahead. All right. So here's the first one that I just love to ask you. So you're a professional boxer. Now, when I just hear that, I, I get a little scared. I, I feel like someone's going to be punching me in my face. And oh, my God, how was that? And did now be honest, this is an honest podcast. Have you ever gotten knocked out before? <laughs> I'm too hard headed to get knocked out. So the answer there, there is no. But obviously, you can tell by my nose, I did take quite a few shots. This was not my strength. How, boxing of all things, how did that come about? Was it like a, a hobby or did you just enjoy watching boxing when you were younger? I definitely enjoyed boxing when I was younger. My father and I, uh, my dad was an accountant, so we, we didn't get to spend as much time as I would like together because he's was a hard worker. As accountants, you work a lot of long hours. So we would do stuff like watch fights or you know war movies together. So I, I guess it was just kind of natural. And I grew up in the South, and we had AAU boxing back then. Yeah. It started, uh, I think it was about age 13. And then um, one of the great joys of my life was meeting um, 
a fellow named Bojack, who okay. uh, was one of the uh, lightweight champs back in the 40s. He trained me in boxing. And just to set the record straight, I had some pro fights as a professional kickboxer. Bo was so tough. By the time we met him anyway, he was in the 70s. And you were never good enough. You were never ready for a, a boxing match uh, in his mind. Uh, so we had to sneak around and, and fight. But yeah, one of the top, uh, certainly top three of my heroes of all time was getting to work with Bo. Wow. Now, back to the sports, because I can't believe you have enough time to do all different sports. Let's talk about water polo. So you were on the Olympic team, and that's just so awesome. You know, and it, I think you're on it twice, if I read correctly. I mean, how cool is that? And how was it representing, I believe, the United States? Well, again, that, that one set the record straight. I wasn't on the Olympic team per se. I was on the national team. There's ah, a, okay. Between, uh, between Olympic years, there are uh, national teams. There's an Olympic festival where we compete amongst ourselves during the off years. And uh, I, there, we didn't have anybody from outside of California. I'm a Floridian, very proud okay. of that. Uh, on the Olympic team until that point. And, and that wasn't a political thing so much as um, I think it was smart back then. You know, when we were playing, water polo wasn't the biggest of sports, but you know, guys who had played together their whole life here in California, you know, in a big game would know, okay, I've been making this pass in this situation to Charlie my whole life, you know, and, and I know he's going to be over there in a the corner ready for a pass. And I think it made sense. Uh, so even if I were of equal talent, uh, I think we were probably better off playing it the way we did. But now, um, you know, people from all different states are represented Olympics, but I was not one of those uh, back in the day, simply the national team. <laughs> well, it's still pretty awesome. What, what, what is uh, your preference? Which is easier? Are you, are you more of a water polo guy or you like the boxing stuff? Yeah. I mean, they're both great. Well, you know, how about I skip that question and <laughs> tell you that my favorite sport of all time is wrestling. I think wrestling is the ultimate sport. Yeah. Wrestling. Okay, you threw me for a curveball right there. I didn't see that one coming. But this is where one of those fun questions, I would definitely want to ask you about it. So you were involved in international action films. Now, is that true? That was true. <laughs> All right, I want to make sure I got it right. So action films have to have stunts in them because hence the word action films. Like, did you do some stunt work on there? And what? how did you get involved in international action films to begin with? <laughs> Well, actually, yeah, I think I probably started out with stunts and then ended up uh, doing more acting. It was funny how I got started in uh, in Argentina anyway. I was over in the gym and uh, this fellow named uh, Hector Echevarria came up to me and he said, uh, he saw, seen me across the way in the dojo and he said, hey man, you want to fight? And I was like, really? Because where I grew up, that was a possibility. You know, I was back there in the 80s in, in Miami, Florida and, you know, all kinds of stuff was going on back then. I thought, oh boy, here we go. It was, no, 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 no. I don't mean like fight, fight, and definitely not now, but, you know, uh, I saw you working over there and, hey, would you like to set up an exhibition down in Argentina and uh, then we'll go on and do a movie afterwards. And I was like, yeah, sure, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Great, let's do it. And uh, honestly, back then I was working as a CPA. About almost a year went by and I finally heard from him and we ended up doing it. We had some fights down there. We did some movies down there. I did do all my own stunts and uh, I did a bunch of, well, I shouldn't say a bunch. We did, I did some here in the United States too, thanks to a wow. buddy of mine, uh, Mike Curtin, who I also brought to Argentina. He was known as the, the master of disaster back in the day. <laughs> so if you had to have a favorite action film or hero, who did you kind of look up to a little bit? Action heroes? Yeah. Oh, come on, man. Everybody loved, uh, I hope, uh, you know, Tarzan and Steve Reeves. Ah, there were so many action heroes. One of my favorites actually was Robert Conrad. Do you remember him? 
You know what? I do. I'm not just saying that. So you love this films. Yeah. Well, Wild Wild West was uh, a regular show, as you may remember. And I know he was a, a former, very skilled boxer, from what I understand. I didn't know that. He also did all of his own stunts. So, well, let's do a little switching of the gears here. I just wanted to get, you know, add, get a little meet and greet questions in there. But I am very impressed that, you know, you went back to med school at age 37. So, you know, with all the cool things you've done in the past, what motivated you to go back to med school? And how did you react to people kind of being naysayers saying you can't do it? Well, so the first, it was kind of a mix of inspiration and desperation. You know, I was, I found out I was about to be a father and I had done a lot of cool things in my life. I call this my ninth career. Uh, <laughs> I always loved medicine. I tell a story about my mom being one of the first kind of nutritionists before there were really nutritionists and having the advantage of reading uh, some of the books on her shelf about nutrition and being fascinated with it. And then I was literally driving across country and thinking, okay, you're about to be a dad. You need to settle into a, you know, a real job instead of, I had made clothing at one point. Uh, well, you know, I was a CPA. I was a lifeguard. I did a lot of different stuff. Anyway, I said, okay, what do you really want to do? And I thought, really, I'd love to be a doctor. I've always wanted to. I just kind of, I mean, we all know, right, going to med school, it, it's, it's not going to be a cakewalk. Right. And I, I guess I don't know if I just didn't have the courage to do it or the time, but I came down to, hey, what do you really want to do? Because this is what you're going to do. And I picked it. Thank goodness. Yeah. And then to the naysayers, I mean, that was, come on, again, look at my nose. Do I look like I back away too? <laughs> Sometimes or more often than not to my detriment, but uh, that just made it even, easy, even easier to me. I said, okay, well, tell me I can't do it and let's see. And, and uh, that helped actually. You know, being when you're a first year intern, you know what I mean? You finished the med school, you know, in a nice way, you did get kind of yelled at and you had to do some stuff. How did you take a... Uh, how did you take being an intern, being told what to do? <laughs> was that easy or difficult? What a great question. Because I, one of my, well, really my favorite was Dr. Wonski okay. uh, over at uh, USC California Hospital. He was known for being really hard nosed. He was double boarded in IM and endocrinology, and he liked to yell. And that was by far my best rotation, man, because you knew where you stood, you knew what the rules were. And there was no two ways about it. I, I loved it. And I still love him. He, that was my favorite for sure. My I am rotation. Yeah. So let me ask you this. You know, with this, I am is, is, is awesome. Family medicine is awesome. And I just love to give shout outs to all you folks. Outpatient medicine is so hard. How did you kind of get geared into sports medicine and regenerative stuff? Like how did, of all the different things you could run into, how was that the, the next step in your career? Uh, well, family practice inter interested me because I figured I could do everything. I could learn everything I wanted to because you get a little bit of everything, right? And, yeah. you know, of course, you're on the risk of being a jack of all trades, master of none. But I wanted to experience it all. I remember I was a late candidate and I didn't have any aspirations to do one thing or another. I couldn't, I knew I couldn't be a surgeon. I, I wanted to, but being a single dad, I just, I knew I couldn't make the time commitment. But once I got into it, then it kind of evolved naturally. I went to work with another physician who was actually a pediatrician first and then got into sports medicine. And it dawned on me, you know what? As long as you have the ticket, as we say, right, you can practice whatever you really want to as long as you study it and know what the heck you're doing. So I focused on it. Obviously, it was a big part of my 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 past. And then, um, quite frankly, uh, I'm, I'm kind of a wimp. <laughs> I don't... Uh, I, I don't believe you do. <laughs> I don't do well with sick people, honest to God. It, 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 I, I think I take it a little bit too much to heart. Okay. It's a weakness. It's not a strength. It's a weakness. Not, it's, I have a difficulty separating. I thought, you know what? If I can see people that aren't that sick, like 
you see on a, on a regular basis. I'll be able to make it through a career without burning out and uh, feeling miserable all the time. And I thought sports and, you know, optimization of health was, was uh, sports because I had all those injuries. That's a whole nother story. I mean, that, that was an easy one. Uh, but then the, the regenerative medicine or optimization was also easy because that's what we're all trying to do, right? If we're healthy, we want to be healthier and try to increase our health span. We call it now longevity with yeah. healthy living. So that was easy. Yeah. You know, so of course I did my research on some really cool things. I think you interviewed in the past or kind of encompasses what you feel. And I'm going to ask you about a couple of topics. Now, I almost wanted to make this the topic of the podcast because I love this one. Can you comment on menopause versus menopause? That was so awesome. And, you know, the subtitle of your talk was, do women truly have it worse than men? And how do you take control of your hormones? You know, can you give me a little background about that? How did you come up with this? And what about my menopause? Am I going to be worried about my menopause, you know? Oh, wouldn't worry about it. The great thing is now we have a fix for it. I, I think by definition, uh, if you talk to anybody who's who measuring these things, it, you know, it starts about age 35 for males or females. And typically the first to go is the, the testosterone. So a lot of the signs are uh, a decrease in energy, a decrease in libido, a decrease in a sense of just general well-being, depression, sort of foggy thinking. And and what brings a lot of athletes in, of course, is you know an inability to manipulate your uh, body composition, and that's male and female. And okay. I know this, I know this, but you know uh, the the average layperson still sometimes believes that testosterone's for guys and estrogen's for girls. You know, <laughs> and, and no, nothing could be further from the truth, as you know. And and uh, that that takes some convincing to get people in. And I guess it's easier to say it from the woman's point of view that when they realize, no, no. no I need testosterone just as much as a guy does. And I want to have all those things too. You know, I want to recover from the decrease that I've experienced. And just knowing it's available is, is wonderful. And so we have a way to reverse those through replacement therapy, typically. Uh, if it happens from a younger age, and that's, you know, due to stress typically, and that's defined very generally, lack of sleep, having, you know, 2.3 kids in a mortgage can be enough to do it. But <laughs> That will skew the curve a little earlier. And there we have a shot sometimes at treating it as secondary hypogonadism, meaning we don't have to replace the testosterone and other hormones, estrogen specifically mm -hmm. for a, a lady, but um, we can coax the, the, the gonads to produce you know, endogenously. So we just get the pituitary to start working again, or we override the system and, and send the same signal that the pituitary would send, and we can depend upon endogenous production of, of some of these hormones. So it's actually pretty easy, and it's wonderful. I have the best job because, as I said, I don't have to suffer through some of these things that, uh, thank God, you you are doing uh, with you know with patients, and you have the ability to do so. I see a lot of happy faces, and I get a lot of what we all live for as doctors, right? A lot of pats on the back. So it's a great position I'm in. And let me just kind of interject, you're getting me a little fired up about endocrinology. So just for my listeners, you know, when we talk about primary and secondary hypogonadism, I know you're the king of this, so correct me. Primary is when the problem's in the testes itself. You know, secondary is going to be, we talk about the pituitary. And of course, there's even tertiary, we talk about the hypothalamus. And I understand where you're coming from, meaning that when you said you're trying to irk the testes to make a little bit more testosterone, that is secondary. So just in case I got some med students listening to this podcast, I got your back, med students. I, I love the way we're thinking. So, well, um, don't forget the ovaries for ladies. Okay. And, oh, 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 my God. I forgot about the women. You're right. Ovaries. Thank you. Primary ovaries for the women. You are 100% correct. Now, high performance sports 
I love that you are interacting with many high, uh, you know, profile athletes. That's one of your passions. So my question is, and I kind of stole it from one of your interviews, is for high performance sports, what works and what doesn't when it comes, and maybe you could define this to the listeners, peak performance? Well, what works is a lot less. And, and, and if you think about it, why is because these guys and gals are at the top of their game already. So we're trying to squeeze the last fraction of a percent out of them. And it, it's tough sometimes because it's not as easy as someone who just wants to, you know, get back in shape like they were in their college days. And they've spent, you know, 30 days, I mean, sorry, 30 years making a living, making their pile for retirement. Now they just want to get back to some semblance of what they had before. That's, that's, that's a walk in the park. But um, fortunately, we have a lot of things that help the elite and professional athletes get that last little bit. Stuff that's very simple to them. You know, I, I mean, I don't keep it to yourself. <laughs> but yeah, L-carnitine, beta-alanine, uh, uh-huh. which is uh, histidine and carnosine together. Those two alone should be banned by WADA and the Olympics because they give any athlete but even a, a professional elite amateur athlete, an edge. I mean, it can be the difference between even making the team and being the top on the podium. L-carnitine, for example, helps you use fat for fuel preferentially over muscle glycogen and can extend time to, to exhaustion by, say, 20% on average in an elite athlete. That's, that's amazing. I mean, really, I don't know why we don't talk about it more. And ditto for beta-alanine. You can use beta-alanine. And both of these are roughly four grams a day, three to four, depending upon uh, body weight. In a sustained release, particularly with, with beta-alanine, you can buffer what we were talking about before we started today, that lactic acid that builds up in your in your cells and get more time to before you fail, the chemical failure that can occur inside the cell because the pH drops so much, the acid goes too so high. You can buffer that with something as, as simple as it's an over-the-counter supplement, both these things I mentioned, L-carnitine is an amino acid, beta-alanine, uh, ditto. And, and you know, it, it, it's amazing. I suggest everybody try it. And on top of that, the L-carnosine, one of the uh, parts of beta-alanine, uh, is a great antioxidant. It's considered an anti-aging tool. Once again, you're getting me fired up for some basic science right here. So let me ask you this. You must love biochemistry, right? Is that your jam? Is that your secret favorite subject in med school? Uh, I don't know if I can pick one. I just love the whole thing. Uh, chemistry was one of my favorites, biochemistry, even or, uh, inorganic chemistry, because that was one of my favorite professors, Dr. Melikan, who I mentioned in the book, because uh, he really opened my eyes as to the benefits and potential detriments of antioxidants. So for my, my med students who are just maybe listening a little bit, I love what we're talking about, which is going to be, you know, when you're exercising, you need you need that ATP. And how do we get that ATP is by breaking down things. And that's when we talk about things like, you know, breaking down carbohydrates to make glucose and glucose is going to be making ATP. I love what you're talking about when we talk about using other sources like fats and stuff. So this pays off that, you know, we integrate it, whether it be the endo, whether it's be biochemistry. So my question, my next question is, so how do the athletes or the people who are in the higher performance of sports, what motivates them to come to you? Is it kind of like, you know, their trainers giving them a hard time. They're hitting the wall too early. How do they know that they're not hitting their peak performance? What's their usual complaint? Well, I'll probably surprise you. I think the, 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 the truth to that more often than not is, unfortunately, some of the teams they're playing for, they have a standard, you know, whether it's a training table or a standard approach to a training table, meaning uh, foods that you're mm-hmm. supposed to eat, you know, standard nutrition plans. 
uh, standard flexibility exercises and whatnot. And the guys and gals come in and say, hey, you know, I know this isn't right because they can read or they say, I know it's not right because it's not working for me. And I have another buddy who plays on a different team and they're doing it this way. And so they come for advice that oftentimes isn't paid for by the teams. There are some teams that give you an allotment. That's pretty cool. They say, okay, you can do whatever you want. Here's 50K a year. 50K a year. Man. Yeah, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, that's, uh, that's, the, that's the truth. Frankly, most of them come in because they realize that what's given them is kind of paint by numbers, whether we call it medicine or nutrition or therapy, and they want to find out you know, more what's uh, individualized for them. Well, you know, talking from sports, we're going to switch it up a little bit. And of course, you know, I, I definitely want to start talking about your book, but uh, I'm curious. Another interview you did, there were, you were talking about, you know, creating an, an active sex life at any age. And of course, this is my broad podcast. I have people of every age and gender that listen to this. So the question was to you, what to ask your doctor and what to do when it comes to sexual longevity? Any one or two things that you want to throw out there to help the listeners out a little bit? Well, first of all, don't be shy. I mean, this is something that even a, you know, a psychiatrist will tell you is an important part of any relationship. You know, you can make it sound crass if you want, but it's not, it's essential. And so you don't want to let it fall by the wayside for your own sake and your partner's sake. Let's just start there. And then, you know, if we're talking about just your sake, who doesn't want to, you know, I mean, look, in some ways, mother nature's kind so that when the hormones drop off, particularly testosterone, and if you don't have a partner, you don't care. They don't care. Nobody gets harmed. But, uh, you know, then there's people that say, well, I don't want to just let that fall by the wayside. And why should you? There's so many things you can do. And it starts with, I mean, the hormone involved, I just mentioned is testosterone. That's an easy one. But people forget that there's so many other things involved. And it's the three basics. And I won't go into them because we can only hit people over the head with it so many times, right? You got to sleep right. You got to train right. Exercise, in other words, and you have to eat properly. And those are givens, okay? But then there's some tricks, ways to increase nitric oxide, right? With uh, the dietary nitrites and nitrates, typically the leafy greens and whatnot, and everyone knows, you know, beets. Uh, you got to avoid mouthwash that contain, like a Listerine that can actually oh. wipe out the bacteria that are needed to convert those. And part of the exercise uh, into nitric oxide we're talking about, part of the exercise component is also to activate the, the endothelial nitric oxide synthase cells, you know, within the vasculature that gets stimulated by any form of exercise. So double motivation, as it were, for, for, for the exercise component. But there's absolutely no reason to you know, give up on sex and good sexual health. There's so many ways to improve it whether it's just with the simple things I mentioned, which aren't necessarily easy, I realize. To get enough sleep, for example, is a major problem. But uh, you know, with your patients, I'm of sure. Of course, of course. There's so many tricks. And, and real quick, I'll mention it. In 2017, they published a study, uh, roughly 44,000 people. It was published in Heart, I believe, the journal Heart. Okay. Uh, and they talk about the all-cause mortality reduction of 81%. Okay, for those, uh, this was all males, by the way. They'd had their, sure. uh, their first MI, I believe. Um, and, uh, and still, still surviving, uh, obviously, but, uh, they, they showed a direct correlation between the amount of PD five inhibitors, that's the Viagra, Cialis, et cetera. And people think that's only for males. That's not true. Women need the magic of nitric oxide also. But the point being, there was an 81% all cause, uh, mortality reduction. I mean, you and I both know that's insane. If, if we could come up with something that would uh, enable an 11% reduction, you and I would be both talking on our yachts 
you know, maybe you like Greece, I like the Bahamas, but we'd be talking by satellite phone. I mean, that's amazing. And yet we don't hear about some of these things, unfortunately. And that's part of the, the reason why I, I, I published the book. We should all have the options just to at least know about it. Oh, of course. And, you know, I'm telling you, I don't know if you, you're looking at my questions. Good transition right to the book. Great transition <laughs> right there. Um, so your book, once again, if you didn't catch it the first time, is Cheating Death. The New Science of Living Longer and Better. I love the title. So my first question is, uh, and you kind of hinted at it a little bit, what was the motivation behind writing this? And in general, I know that this title is self-explanatory, but what is the book about? Well, the first is kind of easy too. I was, you know, it's about March during the, the first year of COVID. And, uh, you know, I was out there on my third day at 1 p.m. Uh, getting sunburned in Malibu after a couple of beers or two thinking, okay, this is no way to spend uh, my time. I mean, it was fun for maybe the first day, but after that, I said, I got to do something about this. So I thought about it and it was, an, it was a no-brainer. It's actually been percolating for a while because one of the frustrations I know we have in our profession, is I, I, I feel very confident I can speak for both of us, is we do this one-on-one -on -one and there's an advantage to that. There's a necessity for that. But then for the general topic, it's, it's very difficult to you know get as many people as you can that kind of information. So it was all about spreading the word. And, and uh, in the field I've chosen, I have the ability to, to research these things and it makes sense for me to do so, as well as being exposed to others in the field. I mean, fortunately, there's still a camaraderie in, in, the, in the brotherhood of medicine or sisterhood, whatever you want to call it. But uh, it's wonderful. And, and I just thought, look, look, let's get it out there. And then honestly, the, the name, I, that was a no-go from, from the beginning. I said, you guys are got to be kidding me. I said, I, that's too kitschy. I'm not doing that. And it came full circle. And I got the, uh, they were quiet. They were smart. They knew how to handle me. They said, Hey, Ren, you got this book done. You want to get the information to as many people as possible. Right. I mean, you first, they said, you believe in what you're, what you got in there. You think it's valuable, right? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, they said, well, this is going to get their attention. Right. I said, yeah, you're right. So we went with the title. And of course, yeah, I think in the first chapter, I said, of course, we're not going to be able to cheat death in the end, but we can still, again, improve health span, the whole concept of, we used to call it squaring the curve as anti-agers, right? You, mm -hmm. you keep going along just like you did roughly when you were 20, and then one day, hopefully, you're lucky enough, one morning, you just don't wake up, you know, you die in your sleep comfortably. But nobody wants to spiral down into old age, you know, circling the drain. And that's, that's what I, we have so many options to try to avoid that. And I say try to very successfully avoid that. Anything from screening opportunities we have now, to drugs, supplements, peptides, uh, hot and cold therapy. There's so many do-it-yourself things you can do too that it's just, it's nuts not to take advantage of. And that's, that's, that was the long-winded version of why I, I wanted to publish the book. Oh, I love that answer. And let, let's both give a shout out to how we met each other with this Charlie. I don't know if she was part of your title selection, but Absolutely. you're right. Charlie, <laughs> yeah. I'm telling you, it, when, I, when, I, when you, I first met you and I read about you, I'm like, I got to see what's in this book. And I actually got a chance. They sent me a little copy to kind of flip through it. Man, it, it's, it's solid. I, I wanted, I wish we had more time to even talk about individual chapters, but my question that had, I was prepared is what was the hardest part about, about writing this book? Was this your first book? And what was the hardest part about writing it? Uh, great question. Yes, this was my first book. Maybe, maybe my last. Um, <laughs> you might be able to appreciate this, although you do a pretty good job. The hardest part for me is to take First of all, what I love, and it's I'm, I'm a nerd. There's no doubt about it. And and 
converted into, it's fun to do, but it's hard, converted into a language that everyone can understand. And, and I like drawing analogies and it's fun, but then there apparently there's a term for it in the industry. They call it killing your babies. Then all of a sudden they go, no, nope, that's out. No, nope, that's out. Complicated. <laughs> no, too wordy. And you're like, oh my God, I spent so much time with that. I was kind of a bummer. But uh, honestly, in the end, I think uh, with the help of people like uh, Bruce was uh, a fellow who uh, we hired to help me turn, you know, our lingo into stuff that more people can understand. And certainly my bouncing around lingo and, and everything, you know, the ADHD kicks in. <laughs> condense it. And, and I thank him in the, in the, I think it's the, what do they call it? Acknowledgements of the book, but uh, you know, put it into language people don't understand, but you know, it's, it's still a wonderful thing. You, you've done what, how many books? Oh, you know? I mean, but you know what? I could appreciate what you did because when I do my books, I mean, I'm targeting my favorites, which are my medical students and professionals. So I'm allowed to go super dork. They kind of expect it. But, you know, I, the hardest part about what I do in general is, you know, trying to raise awareness to everyone and talk to every single person because it matters. And when I met you, and that's why I'm so happy we're doing this podcast, you know, the more I know you, you really do want to communicate well with others and try to kind of go down and meet eye to eye. And I think that's it's really hard to convey your personality into words. And I think that the fact that you took that seriously in the book is really good to speak miles of what you want to accomplish. You know, you know, we're on the same page. It's, it's difficult, but it's very rewarding. Yeah. And that's, yeah. Uh, uh, I know my family was a bunch of former school teachers. I think they were all English teachers. Didn't do them justice necessarily with my book, but uh, <laughs> yeah, no, the idea is that right as doctors were also teachers, right? That's yeah. part of our job. Yep. So let me ask you this. I mean, I, I kind of know the answer, but I want to hear it from you is that, you know, if you had to elevate or pitch the book or just talk to someone on the street and they say, hey, what is the take home message of this book? And who is your target audience, if there is one? Target audience would be really anyone who's interested in either. And I say this in this way for a reason, you'll see, uh, wants to take control of their health and optimize it. Okay either as one's own advocate or the advocate for another. And so that would mean it includes both the, the so-called lay person as well as professionals. Because one of, I found, one of the things I found, and you know this, and you know I'm not being conceited or, or snooty or holier than that or whatever, but you know, we're very specialized now for good reason, because that's how we made a lot of advances. Mm-hmm. But we're having trouble sometimes, you know, one hand talking to the other. And you know, there's a lot of personalities in this business, and sometimes we don't all play together well in the sandbox, and that's unfortunate. And this goes off another topic, but really, really quickly, you know, what we're finding is, and, and uh, what I want to celebrate is, like at UCLA now, sorry, USC, <laughs> uh, they're combining with the Milkins uh, and uh, Gary Michelson's group. They've got, uh, I found out yesterday, it was actually 2.5 billion set aside on the campus uh, as well so that we can all integrate our knowledge, right? Instead of, oh, wait, we got this over here and we're actually competing for the same grant you are. You know, one in five gets a grant, if they're lucky, at NIH or through NIH. So again, coming full circle, sorry. The no, idea okay. is to, you know, let, let's, let's talk to one another. Let's, let's help one another understand all the different options. And it's going to come from both angles. And so if a professional reads this and goes, wow, who knew? You know, I've been focused on my area of expertise. Why would I know that? And then a patient comes in and says, you know, hopefully at the same time, hey, what do you think about this? I read this in the book. Oh, we can do that. And I know how. And then bingo, we got what we're looking for, right? I love that. Well, maybe maybe the next book we could write together could be called 
playing well in the sandbox together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I think come from two doctors. We, yeah, that'd be, why don't we? I like how you phrase that. I love how you phrase that. Now, um, I just want to say uh, again, March 7th, 2023 is when it's coming out. Uh, but I'm not letting you go yet. I have two more questions to ask you. So, I mean, I do feel like, you know, when I took a time to step back, I do love that still you're a boxer and I love that you did water polo and I love that you do sports and you break your nose all the time. Sorry about that. But uh, you accomplished a lot already. What are your future goals? Where, where do we go from here? You got the book out already. That's a huge accomplishment. Where do you go from here? I turned 60 fairly recently, celebrated by climbing uh, a local mountain here uh, up to uh, Gibraltar in Santa Barbara with my wife. Aww. A big uh, party. And I would like to really begin focusing on implementing a lot of these things. And I really want to focus on this area. Uh, I like physics as a, as a sort of a hobby, but I, uh, and I'll keep that, uh, but I, I really like what I'm doing now. It's like I said earlier, it's my ninth career mm-hmm. and I, in all seriousness now, and I'm, I'm laying it out there. I'd like to break the Guinness Book of World Records for the longest practicing physician who, uh, is a gentleman who made it to 99. What? So, <laughs> I got to make it to 99, but I got to still be practicing in because I, I really do enjoy it. And there's a part of growing older and staying healthy that is kind of put on the back burner because it's more woo woo. You know, keeping social connections and and uh, working with others, and gosh, that's our job. What a great deal! You know, we can help ourselves while helping others. So, being serious, I know that sounds kind of whatever you want to call it, uh, cliche or, or whatever, but that's that's what I hope for is that I can focus on some of these things and get involved at different levels with uh, some of these groups, like Gary Michelson's. Hopefully, where you know they've got all this money pouring into research and, uh, and I'll, maybe I can send you the name of the group and you can post it when this comes out because sure. it really is cool because other physicians, people in your group actually might come up and go, yeah, I don't want to go the standard route. I'm going to you know, get a grant from this group because they don't want necessarily people to fill you know, gaps. They want people to take a risk, high risk, high reward, you know, and go off on a complete tangent maybe of something like, for example, with Alzheimer's without getting into too much about that. But, you know, we've been following now, we believe the wrong thing for so long because everyone said, well, follow the child, follow the child, you know, the the, uh, the amyloid plaque. Now we realize eh, it might not have been a good idea. And, and so it, maybe you can explain that better than I can. But the idea is to have, again, this communication and more, more branches to go off and discover. And if I can just stay involved in that until the day I, I go, that would make me happy. I, and one thing I, why I think you're a great person and I love trying to play well with others is because in the end of the day, you know, we all just want to help people. And I really do feel like if your goal is to live 99, may I recommend the book called Cheating Death? <laughs> because I love how you brought it all together, dude. That, that was just awesome. I love it. Um, and, I, and I definitely feel you can accomplish that. And I definitely am so grateful that you're my friend and I know you're going to do great things in the future. Hey, I just want to make sure you get a chance to plug you and some other things. So I'm sure I have listeners, colleagues, students, you name it, that want to learn more about you. Or uh, do you have a website, social media page, anything you want to plug really quick? Uh, I know the book you can get on Amazon. They call it pre-sale. I know our website is uh, www.psr, as in Papa Sierra Romeo, med.com, psrmed.com. And we try and keep a lot of content on that website uh, and we'll keep it updated, uh, you know, beyond what we see in the book. I believe also there's a QR code in the book that'll send you to other places for updates and information because, you know, there's always already some stuff that's outdated, for example, in the AI section. And that's expected. But uh, I mean, that's a whole other topic. I won't bring <laughs> it right now. 
many cool things going on there. But, you know, yeah, I think uh, we've got Instagram stuff and uh, whatever else. I, I That's out of my bailiwick, and, and there are other people that are much brighter than me doing that, putting that together. But I do provide the content anyway. <laughs> well, you have an awesome team. What do I know that before I'm even recording this podcast, they already sent me all your links and what you're doing. And you know what? I'm going to put that in the show notes. So don't worry about it, Dr. Rand. I got you covered on this. <laughs> Thank but, you. Um, Thank you so much for coming today. And I just want to say that I hope everyone enjoyed this podcast. It really is the quintessential conversation with someone who enjoys integrating as much as I do. I definitely got a chance to at least look at a few chapters. I mean, didn't get to talk on about it this time, but there's definitely some nice parts about sleep medicine. That's how I became his friend. And I hope everyone here enjoyed this podcast and I'll see you again in two weeks. Thanks everyone for tuning in today. Thank you, Dr. Raj. Thanks for listening. This has been a production of Ars Longa Media. Our producers are Madison Linden and Chris Brightigan. Our executive producer is Dr. Patrick Beeman. This podcast is for educational purposes only and not intended for medical advice. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis. <laughs>